Hebrews chapter 12 is where we'll be this morning. Hebrews chapter 12. I can't remember how many it was, but a couple weeks before my high school graduation, they gave us the number of the students that were going to graduate in my class, and it was well over 200. I do know that, but I can't remember the exact number. What I do remember, though, is the day of graduation, there were two fewer students than what they were supposed to be graduated. And I thought, well, what happened to those other two students? Come to find out, they quit. Is that not the dumbest thing you've ever heard? How are you going to quit high school two weeks before graduation? You have made it all this way 12 years, plus kindergarten, if you don't include kindergarten, 13 if you do. You've done all that homework. You've done all the studying. You've taken all those tests. You've done all that work to get to the point of graduating. And then you're just going to say, I quit just before graduation. Are you a knucklehead? Like, what kind of person does that? I, to this day, I still have not been able to figure out why you would quit that close. <laughs> Can I tell you something? God is not interested in giving us a faith if we're just going to quit whether it's two weeks before or whether it's a long time, months or years prior. He is not interested in giving us a faith for us to surrender it, to wave the white flag and say, this is too hard. I just, I can't do this anymore. That's not what he wants. He wants us to endure in faith. Now, maybe it's just me, but there's no sadder story, I think, than the person who quits. Because oftentimes the quitter is so close when they do, just like those two folks that quit high school just before they graduated. Man, victory is right around the corner and they give up. So this morning, I want us to make sure we are not the kind that gives up. We are the kind that endures. So stand with me as we read from Hebrews chapter 12. We'll read verses 12 through 17. Hebrews 12, 12 through 17. This is God's word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent though he sought it with tears. Pray with me. God, may we be the kind that endure in faith, but we'll need your help. We won't endure on our own. So Father, give us the strength and the courage and the endurance to last. Use your word in this time to shape us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. You may be seated. The author of Hebrews, just like God wants us to endure, the author of Hebrews wants his readers to endure. And how are they going to endure? Well, he gives us three imperatives. 
Three specific commands that we've got to do these things if we're going to endure. Now, this is not an all-exhaustive list. This isn't everything that, that we have to do. But these three are big. First, he tells us, get up. Get up. If you've ever been injured, you know what, uh, what a difficulty it is to get up. Um, I think of a specific time that um, I know someone that was in the hospital who had been in, in the hospital bed for a couple of days, and it was time for them to get up and walk around and move. And it was a struggle just to get out of the bed. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you've had a surgery or something and you've had pain medicine or something. And so they tell you, don't get up. You don't need to get up, you know, without assistance. We'll come and help you up if you need whatever. Um, but when it's time to get up and it's time to move around a little bit, it's with great difficulty. All of us have kind of been there at one point or another, right? We've, we've all kind of been there where, where just the getting up is hard. That, that's the first thing he tells us to do is get up. In fact, he references what sounds like injury. Look, look in verses 12 and 13. He says, therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. It sounds like this group of readers had undergone a great difficulty. So much so that they were left battered. Their hands are weak, but the word is sagging at the sides. Have you ever seen someone that can barely move and, and their hands just kind of sag? That's the picture here. The knees. The Greek word here is paralyzed. The knees can't move. They won't bend. They, they, there's no strength in them. Their feet are lame. Do you know of the 13 times this word is used, this word for lame? 13 times it's used in the New Testament. 12 of them are directly connected to miraculous healing. This is the only time where it's not. Every other time it's somebody is lame and they're getting healed by Jesus or by an apostle. Here, there's no miracle. Because sometimes God chooses not to work through the miraculous, but through the difficult, everyday thing, like getting up. He calls them, strengthen your hands. They're weak. Pick them up. Straighten them up. Those knees, bend them. Move them. Build them up to be able to carry your weight. What's interesting, I just read earlier from Isaiah 35. He's quoting Isaiah 35. He's, he's referencing back. In the Bible, you don't have, like on, on an internet site, where you can make a link to something else, and you just click on that link, and it takes you to that. You don't have that ability when you're writing the Bible. So Bible writers had to do it differently. They would use the same language to refer back. He's using the language of Isaiah 35 because he wants their, the reader's minds to jump back to that passage. And in Isaiah 35, we read it, but verses 3 and 4, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. But keep going, because he's not just referencing that verse. Say to those who have an anxious heart, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the thing that's paralyzing you is anxiety. You ever been so anxious, so nervous, so scared that you couldn't move, that you felt powerless? Say to the anxious heart, 
Be strong. Fear not. Why not? Because God's coming. You see, faith must endure through external circumstances. Sometimes it's difficult because the circumstances we face aren't things we did. Now, sometimes we do it to ourselves. We mess up and we deserve every bit of it. And it's hard on us because it should be hard on us because we messed up. But sometimes it's somebody else that messed up and that makes it hard on us. Sometimes it's that nobody messed up at all. It's just God's will for us to undergo difficult things. And in the middle of that, we have to endure injury. Sometimes it's from an accident. Sometimes somebody else does something and it hurts you. But we can't allow the hurts, the hangups, the disabilities, the diseases, the injuries of life to cause us to lose faith. Just because you're going through a hard time does not mean God has it out for you. In fact, oftentimes we go through a hard time because God loves us and he's drawing us into himself. No, enduring faith requires that we heal. We must persevere through difficulties, healing rather than wallowing around in pity, allowing ourselves to become worthless and lame in the work of the kingdom. But how do we do that? We don't have the strength in us to strengthen our weak hands and our paralyzed knees. We can't make the path in front of us straight. I have a yard. Ground is bumpy in that yard. And you can imagine trying to get down the slopes or trying to get up the slopes and, and on rocky and, and, and uneven ground with a messed up foot. That's, that's tough. I know you know from walking to the, walking to the barn to feed the horses. Man, that, that's a tough trek. We can't make the path in front of us straight. We don't have the strength to bring healing. Oftentimes, we're too weak. So how do we do this? How do we get up? God says something. Jesus actually says it to Paul. He says, my strength is made perfect in weakness. You may not have the strength. You don't have the strength. I don't either, but God does. His perfect strength will come in your weakness and give you all the strength you need. Sometimes it's just barely. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't want you to get, get too big-headed, and so he only gives you just that what you need. But he always gives what you need, doesn't he? You can't make your path straight in front of you, but God can. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will what? Make straight your paths. He's our strength. He'll empower us to get up when we are broken. So child of God, get up. Don't lay there. Get up. Get moving. It's going to be hard. It's going to be a long process. That's okay. But get up. If we're going to endure in the faith, we got to get up. Second thing we got to do. We got to bowl up. I know this isn't proper grammar, but I'm working with I'm working with uh, alliteration here, so you're just gonna have to deal with it, okay? Bowl up. We need a goal. What something to strive? Have you ever Have you ever seen someone that did great things, and when they get there, they're like, "Well, I wasn't really trying to do anything. It just kind of happened." 
You don't really accomplish great things not really trying, do you? You don't drift into excellence. Like you gotta aim for it, right? We need a goal. We need something to strive for. Well, the author of Hebrews tells us what to strive for. He says, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Strive for peace. Peace allows us to persevere together. When we strive for peace, we're willing to put minor things behind us. I think of 1 Corinthians 13, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That is not a love that's getting trampled on. That is a love that is strong enough to endure. We need that kind of peace, that kind of peace that will endure the minor inconveniences. The kind of peace that allows us to keep going and not hold the grudge. The kind of peace that, that allows us to move past what so-and-so did. We don't harbor animosity that cuts off the work of God when we're striving for peace. Our minds aren't preoccupied with how we've been wronged or injured. Man, if Christians would strive for peace, there wouldn't be half of the commercials for lawyers during daytime television. They'd go out of business. Peace allows us to be friends and not enemies of the gospel we proclaim. Now, does that mean that we have to automatically agree with everybody and affirm whatever they want us to affirm? No. No. That's why he says peace and holiness. Because you need both, right? Jesus was full of grace and truth, right? He, if he was just grace and no truth, he wouldn't have been a savior. If he was just truth and not grace, well, he'd be a lot, he'd be a lot harder to get along with, wouldn't he? And he was pretty tough to get along with sometimes. I mean, he was saying stuff that chased people away at times. You brood of vipers, you hypocrites, you whitewashed tombs. Jesus said all those things, but he was full of grace and truth. Grace for the sheep who needed it, truth. Truth for the sheep and the wolves who needed that. Besides, hasn't God made you at peace with you, with him? Ha ha hasn't God made you at peace with him? Did didn't God take you while you were still a sinner and, and send his son to die for your sins and make reconciliation with you even when you were totally against him? Isn't Jesus the prince of peace? I think, I think that makes the father the king of peace, doesn't it? If I, you know? The son is the prince, the father's the king. So shouldn't we be princes and princesses of peace too? Maybe not the crown prince, the princess. That's okay. We don't need the crown. But that ought to be our character. And then holiness. You know, peace without holiness isn't true peace. It's just getting run over. Notice Jesus doesn't say blessed are the peacekeepers. He says blessed are the peacemakers, right? If you're just trying to keep the peace, you're going to lose that holiness. you got to have the holiness too. You see, it takes both parts. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. 1 Peter. 1 Peter isn't in there. Okay, I'll read it to you. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
When we pursue holiness, we are not just pursuing an ideal. We are pursuing the Holy One. Endurance needs a goal. I can't think of a better goal than the Prince of Peace and the Holy One. I, I can't think of a better goal than that. We endure for him. We endure for him who saved us from our sins, who redeemed us from our slavery, who, who made us his child by adoption, and who has promised us an inheritance that will endure. So get up and goal up. Third one, guard up. You, you really want to endure? You're going to get attacked. Now, I don't just mean physically attacked, and I don't just mean uh, uh, people are going to say bad things about you. Though there are some of those kinds of attacks do happen. There are parts of the world where Christians are right now, pardon, being tortured and killed for their faith. There are other parts of the world where they're just mocked. There are parts of the world where Christians have to be careful about conversations. I know one that was a missionary in the Middle East. We couldn't use his name. We couldn't use any of the family members' names in talking about them until they were back in the States. And even then, we didn't put their names in bulletins or on signs or on online in any kind of posting or anything because of fear that word would get back. And if they were ever to go back, they wouldn't be accepted in. They have to be real careful so that they can still do the gospel work. We're not in a place like that. We might talk about Christians being persecuted, but let's face it, it is minor compared to what many others are facing. My worst level of persecution was someone telling me that I suck. You suck. When he asked and I answered affirmatively, are you a Christian? That's my worst level of persecution. And to be honest with you, it was funny more than it was persecuting, okay? It just didn't, it, it, that's not persecution. And we think, well, you know, the times are getting tougher and there's all kinds of things that Christians aren't able to do and they'll cancel you and that, all that kind of stuff. But guys, let's just be real honest. Most of our problem comes with us and not with someone else. When we're trying to endure this Christian life, most of our problem doesn't come from someone trying to persecute us. It comes from us trying to fall back into sin. And so if we're going to endure with faith, we got to have a guard up. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 6, put on the full armor of God. And do you know how much of the armor of God is defensive? There's only one piece on one weapon. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Everything else is defensive. Helmet of salvation. Belt of truth. Feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Breastplate of righteousness. Shield of faith. All of it defensive. Why? Because we need our guards up. We will fall. We will fail. We will not endure if we don't have our guard up. See to it. Verse 5, that see to it is actually not a command in the Greek. It's a continuation. See, 14, 15, and 16 are all one sentence. So this is a continuation from 14. We're striving for peace. We're striving for holiness. And while we're doing that, we're making sure. We're paying careful attention to make sure that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. What do you mean fails to obtain? Doesn't God give his grace at salvation? Yes, but not all of it. 
You see, God's grace is an ongoing thing. And when we're in sin, we shut ourselves off from it. He saves us from our sin. We are his child. But then we do bad things and we mess up and we alienate ourselves from the grace of God. That's why the Holy Spirit's work, first work, is conviction. Because God cannot give his grace on one who's rejecting it. No, he, he needs you to turn away from your sin so he can bestow that grace that you need. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Make sure you're not failing to obtain the grace of God. Get the log out of your own mouth. Then you can help your brother. Then you can help someone else that needs it. Then you can come along with someone who's struggling in sin and help them get out of it. See that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. The root of bitterness, that's another reference. Where is he hyperlinking this time? He's hyperlinking back to Deuteronomy 29. Moses is warning the people about following false gods. And he says, beware lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. You know all those nations that you're going to kick out of the promised land? Don't go serve their gods. That's why they're getting kicked out. That's why God's bringing judgment on them. Don't you go down that same path. Beware, lest there be among you a root bearing poisonous and bitter fruit. And he goes on to describe these people who are worshiping these false gods as a poison in the community. Watch out. Make sure that there's no root of bitterness. And make doubly sure that it ain't yours. Guard against faithlessness. If you're going to endure in the faith, you can't lose the faith, right? We must not fail to obtain God's grace by pursuing wannabe gods instead of the true God. It's why so many get defiled by that root of bitterness. He also says, see to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. You remember the story, don't you? Genesis 25. Esau is famished. He has been hunting all day, and he is hungry. And in there is Jacob making a stew. And Esau smells that stew, and he's so hungry, and he says, Brother, I'm about to die. Give me some of that stew. And Jacob, being the uh, entrepreneur that he was, let's put it nicely, swindler is probably more like it says, okay, I'll give you some if you sell me your birthright. Now, the birthright, everybody would get um, a portion of the father's estate, but the oldest son would get a double portion. The idea was you're going to take care of your mom and any of your sisters that aren't married, you're going to take care of the family afterwards. So you get more so you can properly take care of the family after the father's gone. That's the idea behind it. Esau, do you remember Esau's response? When Jacob says this, he says, what good is a birthright to me if I die now? Like, I'm so hungry, I'm going to die if I don't eat. Now, is he really that hungry? He's probably feeling the pangs and desires of hunger, but is he really about to die? No, you see, Esau took 
something monumental and traded it for something menial. He took something that was eternal and traded it for something that was temporary. A birthright, a legacy, the father's legacy, and he trades it in for a bowl of stew. I don't know how good of a cook Jacob was, but no stew is that good. His craven desires ruled over him. And as a result, for you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, when his desire turned from what was temporary to what was permanent, he was rejected. He found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. Later, his father's dying. Jacob cheats him out of his blessing. Esau comes in to the father. The father realizes that I've just given your blessing to your, to your brother. And Esau is crying, don't you have another blessing? Can't you bless me too? When he finally realized what was really important, it was too late. Don't be like Esau. Keep your guard up. Put up a guard. Guard those things so that you don't fall and fail. Guard those things. Guard your heart. Guard your mind. Guard your steps. Over and over and over again, you see it in Scripture. To guard, guard, guard. Keep your guard up. If, you, if you're injured, you got to get up. If you're wandering around aimlessly, you need to go up. But all of us are susceptible to sin. So all of us need to guard up. And if we'll do those things, we'll endure in the faith. If we do those things, we'll make it. Not because we're strong enough, but because he is. Put your trust in the God who gives you a faith that will endure and endure with that faith. Father, this morning, we need your help to endure. We, we want to endure. We want to do the things that you've called us to do. We want to be who you have called us to be. But Father, we can't do that without your strength, without your help. Lord, we recognize that we need you. So Father, help us. Give us the strength to endure. Help us to get up. Help us to goal up. And help us to guard up. That we will not be found lacking but in that day that you come, we will have the strength to stand. Father, do your work in us. Whatever you're leading us to do, you do in this time while we sing this invitation. In Christ's name, amen.